Good morning, church. It is good to be with you. Before we start, we have a tradition here of, of uh, being able to pray for the kingdom of God in this city and things that are going on. And in particular, uh, I think today's a special day for us to uh, be able to pray for the Pregnancy Resource Center. Today is uh, Sanctity of Life Sunday. And I want you to know uh, this, this past week when I got to go to the pastor's luncheon, and I've mentioned this before, I get to meet a lot of wonderful people here, servants of God in this city. And uh, I got to spend some time with Lainey Johnson. And she's the director of the Pregnancy Resource Center and got to talk to her and what a wonderful woman she is. An amazing service that she does here in this town. And the Pregnancy Resource Center is a place that helps moms in particular who have unexpected pregnancies and what they do with that. And so I got to spend some time talking to her. And this is also one of these things that I tell you about all the time. It's so neat to meet people. And they say, well, who are you with? And I go, I'm with Kerrville Church of Christ. And they go, oh, I love those people. I love those people. And I'm so happy because it makes me so proud to be able to say, yeah, those are my people. Those are my people. And so she immediately goes, yeah, Brenda McDonald and Paula Shade and Cheryl Rich and all of these people that work with us. And she said, I'm so thankful for them and the service that they do. One of the things that I did learn um, from Lainey is that this past week, uh, they said there was over 300 children, 300 babies that were born into this world that may not have been born otherwise because they were able to get some help from the Pregnancy Resource Center. I'm very thankful for that, and I think that's a wonderful thing. Yeah, you can clap for that. We're thankful for that. In addition to that, though, it's not just that those children are able to enter the world. They were able to enter the world because of the support that was given to moms that are having a hard time. Moms that came in that are scared and that don't know where to go, and they're loved. And so it's not just the children whose needs are being met. It's the moms whose needs are being met. Because they don't just come in and say, hey, the most important thing is that this child enters the world. They come in and they go, we want to love you and we want you to know we're going to support you and we're going to be here with you so that you don't need to be afraid. And that you can do this. And to have somebody walk with them and love them and say, we're going to be here after the baby's born and we're going to be here to help in every way that we can, I think that is us loving in the way that Jesus showed us how to do it. So I'm very grateful for that. So if we can, let's stop for a minute. And uh, before we begin everything, let's, let's have a prayer and thank God for what he's doing here in this town and through the Pregnancy Resource Center. Holy God, we thank you that you have placed us in this city to be, uh, to be a light. And Lord, we, we want to be a light. We want to reflect the light of Christ and the things that happen here. And we know that we are not the only ones that do that. There are so many people here in this town that have the light of Christ in them and that are sharing that. And Lord, we are grateful that you've given us the opportunity to partner with them and that we have that unity. That's the thing that draws us together. It's, it's the light of Jesus. And in particular today, Lord, I ask that you would bless the Pregnancy Resource Center and the work that they do. Please bless Lainey Johnson, all the others that work there. I thank you for the people here at, at KCC who work with them. And Lord, I ask that you would continue to bless them as they reach out uh, to uh, women who are having fear and are afraid of, of where their future lies and whether or not they have the ability to be a mom and whether or not they have the ability to uh, raise a child and uh, that they worry because they don't have all the things that they need. And so, Lord, we ask that you would teach us to not just love the children but to love the moms so well and that we continue to be a part of their life, helping them in every way and that these moms and these children would come to know who you are and walk in the truth all their days. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, so 
If I can, I'm going to give you a little update on what happened last week. If you missed uh, last week or you weren't with us, but I, I just want to talk for a minute as we get into the Gospel of John a little bit and remind you of a few things that I think are really neat about how we begin this. One of the things I want you to understand is John, the, the disciple John, began his walk with Jesus probably as a very young man. And what we have here in this gospel is something that he probably had put down on paper through himself or somebody who helped him write it as an old man. And so what that means is we're not just looking at a journal or a diary. This was not John as a young, maybe teen, following Jesus. And as he went along, he wrote down, today we did this and today we did this. In his first days with Jesus, he didn't come up with the idea right after he got called of saying, in the beginning was the word. That's, that's not the first thing that came to the disciple John. What happened was over the course of decades, it appears, after John followed Jesus and after John saw what Jesus did and the death, burial, and the resurrection and Jesus ascending and after he told story after story after story of what it was like to be around Jesus. And then he moved around from churches to churches and spent a lot of time in Asia Minor. And then as he decided, I got to write down what it was like to be around Jesus, and he wants you to realize what it's like, what Jesus was like. It's more than just an account of stories of what happened. You can really feel in this that John is trying to go, here's what it meant. And one of the things that I like about uh, the way that we're approaching this is spirit and truth. One of the things that you're going to see that John keeps talking about is every time people start wanting to talk about the flesh, Jesus is going to point them to things of the spirit. You're going to see that as a theme that comes up a whole lot. And one of the things that you're going to see there, too, is that Jesus keeps talking about things that are true, and he keeps revealing the truth of what's going on. And in particular, today, that's one of the things we're going to be talking about, because we're going to be talking about light, about Jesus being the light. I think it's wonderful that there at the very beginning of the gospel of John, that he uses these amazing words. And one of the things that we talked about last week was this loaded language that he used to come out and go, in the beginning was the word. And we talked a little bit about how that made the ears perk up of the Jews because they know that in the beginning language. And it made the ears of the Greeks perk up because they go, Logos, I know what that is. That's something that we talk about. And so immediately it grabs the attention of people that are around there. And this week you're going to see the same thing because he's going to use loaded words this week too about the light. And you need to know for a culture during that time to all of a sudden talk about the light was going to make people's ears perk up. First, I want to tell you a story about light. Here's what I learned about light uh, a couple of years ago during what we call at our house snowpocalypse. Right? Do you remember this time? If you weren't around here, let me just tell you a little bit. Here's what happened. Is temperatures plummeted, and the electric grid in Texas went on the fritz, and there was a bunch of people that were stuck in darkness for days and days. And we were one of those at our house. Uh, in Austin, we lost electricity for about four and a half days. And I will tell you, I learned a lot about the difference between darkness and light during those four days. It's amazing how used to you can get to having light whenever you want it. I, for four days, I would walk into a room and flip the switch, knowing nothing's going to happen. It's habit right? I would walk in and go, oh, it's dark in here. Let me get my light off my phone and flip on the switch so that I can see the light on my phone. I flipped the switch constantly, time and time again. And then we started realizing the issues with not being able to have light in your house and what that does. I stubbed my toe four million times on things. 
bumped into things, hit my head on things. We were trying to cook food and to be able to eat it. And I remember we had to start shifting what we were doing because it was getting dark early and we weren't able to see what we were cooking. And we definitely weren't able to see how we could rinse dishes off at the end. You started realizing that you'd have a pot where you cook some rice in it. And the next day when the sun would come up and you'd look in the pot and you go, there's food everywhere in here. We didn't clean it well. It's all of these things that happen. One of the things that I remember most is one night while we were standing over the kitchen, the sink, and Melissa's helping wash the dishes, and I'm holding the light over there off my phone so that she can see it, is we both looked up out the window above our sink. And behind our backyard is a street, is a pretty main street, and then on the other side of that is another neighborhood. And we looked up out the window across the street, and there's a house over there, and all their lights are on. And I don't think I've ever been more envious in my life. Because I remember we looked over there, and, and Melissa even went, what's going on over there? How come that house has all their lights on? I'm like, I, I don't know. And, and she said, well, all the other houses don't have their lights on, but that place has their, has their lights on. What are they doing? What's special? What's happening over there? I'm like, I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. But I do know they had it, and we didn't. And we wanted it. Bad. Because it changed everything with what was going on in our house. I've walked in darkness, and I've walked in light. And let me tell you, light's better, especially during that time. So I want you to know that as you have John saying, Jesus was the light as he begins, and not only that, he was the light of the world, that that is loaded language. It means so much to what's going on. Light, and especially light versus darkness, is a theme that you're going to see in John. And I want to tell you again, we talked about this last week. We think about the inspiration of somebody who helped write the Bible. And you, I want you to know, I believe in the inspiration of the Word of God. Okay, I believe that the Holy Spirit helped make that happen. But oftentimes what we do is we look at that and we picture somebody sitting down and the Holy Spirit overtakes them and their hand just moves and they ride out these words not knowing what they're doing. I don't believe the Holy Spirit worked that way. I don't believe he inspired the word in that way. And especially when you look at this, you have to start thinking, is the Holy Spirit worked through John for years? Making sense of the amazing things that John saw when he followed Jesus. And then finally for John to start putting this together and start putting it on paper, and you need to know these aren't accidents. I believe it was inspired by the Holy Spirit, but I think there's a reason that you'll start to see themes and you'll start to see that as John wrote this down, making sense years later is to go, you know what? He talked about light and he talked about darkness. And I need to make sure that you understand that because that's who he was. And that's an important part of what he was trying to share with us. And so one of the things that you're going to notice in this is that the idea of light and especially light and darkness is going to show up a lot. So I want you to see, here's a slide here. And if you want to take a note, this is something that you can write down. These are places that you're going to see light in particular be spoken of in Scripture, in John, and in particular where he's going to talk about being the light or he's going to talk about the light versus the dark. You can take a picture of that. You can write that down. But I would love if you would go take some time and look at that because it happens all throughout the gospel. This is not an accident. Like I said, this is something that I think we had John looking at and going, you know what? You need to understand that as I look at this through all of it, I've come to see that who Jesus was is he was the light. We're going to talk about several of those today. So again, 
You have John, who spent a lot of time in the later part of his years in Asia Minor, and he was in a culture where he would have some Jewish people that were around him and who was raised in the Jewish faith, and then he's going to have some people who were in the Greco-Roman culture. They were Greeks in a lot of ways, and so they had a very different background. But for him, again, to be able to say something is light is going to perk up the ears of everyone around this is something that they're going to see. To the Greeks, you need to know this idea of light was also something that they were looking for. They're looking for enlightenment. They had philosophers who would talk about this, of being able to find the enlightenment that we need. And it was usually the knowledge to be able to make sense of the world because they were seeking that. How do I make sense of the world? And hopefully what will happen is if I do these things in certain ways and if I learn this information, then maybe what I'll be able to do is I'll be able to find the, the light, which is the true source of truth. And if I can have that, then I'll get to understand this logos that he talked about, which is this cosmic force that holds everything together and makes everything happen. So you need to know that the idea of light, enlightenment, that's something that the Greeks would understand in a lot of ways. But to the Jews, you need to understand this was hugely loaded language too. You remember last week, one of the things that he started with was in the beginning. And if you're a Jewish person and you know Torah, then when you hear in the beginning, you immediately go to. These are our words. These are the words of our holy scriptures. This is what started everything. And just in the same way, I could do that with you. If you were raised in the church and be able to go in the beginning, you could finish that statement. God created the heavens and the earth. And you need to know they were able to do that. So those words had meaning to them. And the idea that they would start with saying light, that, that Jesus was the light that he's trying to share, is something that would be loaded too, because you need to know those were the first words in the Torah that God actually said, right? Let there be light. And so for John now to be saying, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and he was the light, all of a sudden, the Jews are starting to understand a little bit of what's going on. They're starting to see that this is loaded language in such a way. And you need to know that the idea of God creating light is not just that God created the sun. It means so much more than that. Light is not just the creation of the sun. Light was what brought order. Light was what illuminated that which was chaos and what was meaningless, that scripture where it talks about in Genesis 1 that says that the earth was formless and empty and darkness was over the surface of the deep. He said, but then God spoke. Power and light was there. And it wasn't just that he flipped on the switch. You need to know that what they believed in this was that where there was chaos and where there was disorder, and that's what dark waters mean to Jewish people, is fear you don't know what's there. You can't see it. That's chaos. That's lostness. That's not knowing how to get out. That's not knowing where to go. That is being lost in every single way. And then for God to say, let there be light, means now there's a way. Where there wasn't a way, there's a way. Where there was only fear and chaos, now all of a sudden, there's something to show us a way. And so it was much deeper than just the creation of the sun. Light now showed the way. And the idea of God being light, Jews would grab onto also. He said, he was the light. Well, God was the light, the Father. We know God was the light because they know that language. Part of the Jewish story that is so impactful to them was their, uh, their uh, enslavement in Egypt and then them being set free and that God led them out of there. And how did he lead them out of there? He was light for them, guiding their path 
in their way, where they were lost, where they were in slavery, not knowing where to go, and not knowing this place that God was going to lead them, then he led them through the light. This is what Exodus 13, 21 says. The Lord was going before them in a pillar of cloud by day to lead them on the way, in a pillar of fire by night to give them light that they may travel by day and by night. This is language they know. This is an image they know. God showing us the way, leading us, going, this is where we're going. This is the path. This was an important part of the Jewish culture and their understanding of Scripture and who God is. God leads the path, shows the path. He illuminates. That's what he does. And now you have John going, yeah, that was, that's Jesus. He's the ultimate light. And not only that, but if you were a Jewish person who knew the Torah, which you did, and you knew the, the law, and you knew the prophets, one of the things that you would know is about Isaiah 9. Isaiah 9 is this really well-known scripture, and we know it. We read it during Advent, around Christmas time. It's famous for predicting how God will save his people. As a matter of fact, the, 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 the part later in this chapter, we're not going to read right now, but this is the part that's the chapter where it says, For unto us a child is born, to unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That's Isaiah 9. We just read that a few weeks ago around Christmas. You need to know that was for Jewish people is to go, this is talking about our salvation that will come. But here's what it says earlier in that chapter, Isaiah 9, 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in a land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. This is salvation language. Do you realize that? So when you have John mentioning this and to go, he was the light, ears perk up and go, this is salvation language. This is us being saved language. This is about us going from one place finally being free and getting to go to another place of where God's leading us. This perked up the ears of people who have been following the Lord. It's loaded language to call him the light, and not just the light, but it's the true light who gives light to everyone. This is important, important words and beautiful words that John the apostle who followed finally putting down in paper in some way and being able to write and go, you need to understand that what we had been looking for forever, that's who Jesus was. The one who will illuminate the way and will show us. So there's a few things that we want to talk about with this. One is there's so much in these, in these scriptures, but we're going to talk about just a few things. One is there's going to be a contrast between light and darkness, and, and he's going to define both of them in some ways. And that's going to be what Jesus does throughout his life, is to define both of them. The idea of light and darkness is going to be a theme that you're going to see throughout Scripture and throughout the Gospel of John. Now, you need to know, when we start talking about light versus darkness, we go, well, Jesus came to show light, and there was darkness. Our minds typically immediately go to evil. Darkness is evil. And so it's evil men doing evil things. It's the work of Satan who's trying to deceive us. And so we immediately get up our battle armor, and we're ready to go to war against things that are evil. But I got to tell you, as I started looking at this, and in particular, looking at all of the ways that John would record that Jesus talked about the light and the darkness, you need to understand he's not really talking about an evil power. As a matter of fact, when you look at darkness as a whole, the dark is not really a thing. You can't measure dark. You can't weigh dark. You can't grasp dark. 
Dark is the absence of something. It's something not being there. It's the absence of light is what darkness is. Light is waves. Do you know we can measure light? You can grasp hold of it in some ways. You can almost weigh light because it's waves. Darkness is not like that. Darkness is the absence of something. It is what obscures light. It is what holds it back. Darkness is the thing that kept me from seeing the edge of the table when I stubbed my toe on it during snowpocalypse. It's what obscures reality. It's what blocks what is true and what is really there. One of the things that I like to do is I like to do some nighttime hunting. I've got some friends we do nighttime hunting, in particular uh, what they call varmint hunting, right? For hogs, for coyotes, for things like that. And, and I like to do that. And you need to know that the way you do that is you, you get in the woods and you, you act like a hurt animal. It really sounds stupid when I say it like this. It's really not this bad. But you get out in the woods, right, and you act like a, a, a small animal in distress. And then when the varmints come who eat those animals, then that's what you hunt, right? You got coyotes that are maybe taking your sheep or that are taking your cows or you have these other things. The interesting thing about this is you sit in the dark and you don't know what's out there. The whole idea is you get out, and I've been out in times where I'm looking over this field and I got my back against maybe some brush. And, and when all the lights are out, you can't see anything. I mean, you can't see your hand in front of your face if there's no moon out or if it's cloudy. It's dark. And then you make these sounds like a wounded animal to see what comes. But you need to know that what comes, you never know. You're, you're wanting me to make the sound, aren't you, Ricky? I'm not going to do it. I see, I see you. I'm not doing it. Not doing it. But you sit there, and so you wait to see what comes. And the big deal is you sit, and quietly you wait. But it's not until you turn the light on and show it that it's revealed what is true. Now, you need to know those things are there, whether the light is on or not. And I've had times where we sat there, and I remember we're looking out over this field, and every now and again you turn on the light and you see what is there. Reveal the truth. What's there? And you go, nothing. And I remember there were times where we sat there, I sat there with my cousins one time, and we looked out over this field, and we were there for an hour, and we turned the light on, and every time we turned the light on, there's nothing there. And I remember us finally going, there's nothing going to happen. And so we stood up, and when we stood up, we were up against a, a piece of brush. He turned the light and shined it behind us, and there were six coyotes standing right there behind us. <laughs> Scared me to death. They had snuck up on us. Now, here's the thing. They were there already. Reality was... They were right there. The light is the thing that revealed what's true. And it revealed reality. And it revealed the, the, the nature of things that are going on. And so it's really an important thing to be able to understand that darkness is the thing that obscures what is true and what is real. That's why it's such an important thing. So what is darkness? Darkness is anything that's not the light. It's the things that can obscure the light. It's what leads to chaos and confusion and fear. And the way that John records Jesus talking about darkness is not so much this is evil. Really, the way he talks about it is stumbling. He talks about when you're in darkness, it's not so much that you're an evil person, you're an awful person. You're kind of stuck in this place where you can't see what's going on and you stumble through life. Let me show you in John 11, 8 through 10. That's one of the scriptures you wrote down earlier off the uh, slide. This is when Jesus is finally heading to, to Mary and Martha because Lazarus has passed away. 
Okay? And, and there's some confusion with this because he says, now let's go to Lazarus. Okay? And this is what his disciples say to him. Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in one day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. And what you start realizing is he's saying, don't you understand? Here I am, the light of the world with you. You walk with me, you're going to know where you're going. If you're not, you're going to stumble and you're going to fall. You don't understand. These are not evil people. These are people that don't have the light on what they're doing right now. And it's easy for us to be able to go light and dark, good and evil. Because what I get to do is I get to place myself in the not evil category. Nobody puts themselves as being evil. You need to know, did you know 99.9% of people who do horrible things are not trying to be evil? Satan doesn't even work that way. We have a deceiver. And let me tell you what he doesn't do. He doesn't come along and go, Art, let's mean you go be evil, man. That's not the way he approaches us. He approaches us through deception, through lies, through obscuring what's true. And so what we start realizing is that that's not me, and it's easy to go, I'm not this darkness, and I don't have to worry about this darkness. But you need to understand, darkness is not something that just affects people who crave darkness. Darkness affects those of us who want the light. It affects us too, but we're hanging on to some things that aren't the light, and therefore it obscures what's true. Those scriptures that I put up originally where it mentions all of these different places where Jesus talks about being the light, you need to know in, in every one of those cases, it's not Jesus fighting the forces of evil. It's Jesus trying to explain to religious people, you don't understand. You're stumbling around in the dark. In John 3, 19 through 21 that I put up there, these are the ones that you wrote down. That's his conversation with Nicodemus, who's a good man, who's wanting to understand. And Jesus said, you need to understand, I'm the light that came into the world. What was Nicodemus doing? He was confused. I don't understand what you're doing, Jesus. He's going, that's the problem. You're stumbling around in the dark. But I'm the light that's going to reveal that. In John 8, 12, there's a story of the woman who was caught in adultery and is brought. He's talking to religious people and he's saying, I am the light of this world. You don't understand. I'm trying to get you to understand why I came and what I'm here for. John 9, 5. The disciples see someone who's blind from birth, and they say, who sinned? His mom or his dad? Whose fault is this? And Jesus is trying to describe and go, that's not the way things work. I'm the light. Again, not somebody that's evil. He's going, you don't understand. And because of that, you're stumbling around. John 11, 8 through 10 is the one we just talked about where Lazarus passed away. And he's trying to say, I'm the light of the world. You don't understand. The reason we're going back there is I'm only going to be with you for a little while. And this is what I'm here for. And this is what I'm doing. And then you have John 12, where Jesus says, while you have the light, walk with the light. Walk with the light. And the reason is because the religious leaders didn't understand. They're going, what do you mean you're the son of man? How can you possibly be the son of man? And he's going, you don't understand. These times where he talks about light and darkness, it's not about good battling evil. It's not battle. It's rescue. It's about Jesus going, I've come to rescue those of you who still stumble around in the dark. Because you don't understand. You don't get who I am. You don't get why I came. You don't get what I'm trying to do. And you certainly don't understand how all of this is going to end with a cross and a tomb and a resurrection. But I've come to shine light on all of this. 
of what God's always meant through his word. And I'm going to reveal to you what it looks like in person. So this is not just a battle. This is a rescue. And one of the things I love about this scripture, too, is in this scripture, he says, there was the, the beginning of John. John says, there was a man named John who gave witness to the light. He was not the light. He makes a point of saying that. John the Baptist, he was not the light. Why does he make a point of that? Because you need to know. Everything else is not the light. John the Baptist was a wonderful person. You need to know how highly Jesus thought of him. At what point, at what point, one point, Jesus actually says, of all the men born of women, there's none greater than John the Baptist. But you need to know, John the Baptist was not the light. He doesn't reveal everything. There is no way John the Baptist was going to be able to reveal the whole plan in the way that Jesus was. He can't reveal a sinless life. He can't reveal sin and death being nailed to a tree. He's not going to be able to reveal an empty tomb and death being overcome. He can't do those things. There's a lot of good stuff that's not the light. But if you do think they're the light, that's when you start stumbling around. We put too much focus on things that aren't. You need to know. The internet's not the light. Right? Your news station, not the light. Your political party and your political views, not the light. That's not it. Your good works, not the light. Your religion, not the light. Even your obedience, not the light. If you get focused on those things and start treating them as they are the light, then what happens is they start to obscure the view of what really is the light. That's what Christ has come to do. And you're going to miss out on it. That's the reality. That's what Jesus came to show us. Now, here's another part that it talks about with darkness, and I love this statement too. It says, the darkness cannot overcome the light. And that's an important thing for us to realize too. It says, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. You need to know that word overcome. Man, I did a lot of research on that. That That's a hard one to try and grasp the idea of darkness not overcoming it. It doesn't just mean that it's, it's gotten over it. It means it's not mastered it. It hasn't comprehended it. It hasn't overseized it. It hasn't grasped it. It can't wield it. You know, it made, me, it made me think. of. Okay, so when I was in high school, I took physics. I did not overcome physics. Okay? You know, I, I wasn't able, and there was lots of people who did seem to grasp it. But I wasn't able to grasp it and seize it and master it and use it for my purposes. I struggled with it, okay? I wasn't able to hold it and go, now I can use this to do the things that I want to do. And you need to understand that's what he's talking about. Darkness can't grab the light and use it. It can't wield it as its own. It can't control it. It can't overpower it. It can't master it. Darkness is not able to do that. John 12 35 and 36, I want to read this to you, and then we're going to skip to 44 and 46, and you need to know this was in the the list too. This is when Jesus was talking to a crowd, and he's talking about that the Messiah is going to have to die, and they don't understand what they're talking about. They They weren't believing what they saw with their own eyes. So here's where it begins. It says, so Jesus said to them, the light is among you, he's talking about himself, for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. And when Jesus had said these things, he departed and he hid himself from them. 
You understand one of the things that happens here is at the beginning of John, he goes, you need to understand the darkness cannot overcome the light. But one of the things he does say is, you walk with me or darkness will overcome you. Did you know it can master you? It can grab hold of you? If you don't walk with the light, then what can happen is the darkness can overcome you because there is some power there. It can obscure what's true and what's real, and it'll change you in so many ways. Their problem was they didn't understand. They had these preconceived notions of what the Messiah was going to look like. And they said, you don't look like the Messiah that we were looking for. And so you can't be it. And Jesus is going, you can't see what's real. I'm trying to reveal truth to you and you don't see it. And the reason that you don't see it is because you're hanging on to something that you think's the light. It's what you've been taught. It's your religion and your customs. And you can't get past those things. And because you can't get past those things, you don't know what's really real right in front of you. You can't see salvation right there. It can't overcome that light, but you can be overcome by it. I had a, I had a rough week this week. I think some of y'all I shared that with. Um, Tuesday morning, I got up, and I'm coming into the office, and I get a note from my mom that a cousin had passed away unexpectedly. And this cousin of mine, his name was Johnny. And uh, Johnny had some uh, limited mental capabilities, uh, and so he had the mind of a child. But he was the sweetest, huge, big, huge guy. Sweetest, kindest, most gentle person. I keep thinking of those, blessed are the pure in spirit, right? The pure of heart. They're going to see God. And I think about Johnny all the time with that. I mean, not a mean bone in his body. Just the kindest, most gentle soul. And they got up that morning, and he had, he had awakened, and he was feeling bad, and they called the ambulance. Before the ambulance got there, he died. And I was like, oh, man, that's tough. We know loss, right? And that, that's not that uncommon. But within an hour after that, I got a note from a friend in Austin who said, hey, Steve Baker, this guy that you worked with at the church up here with immigrants forever, he's in the hospital. It doesn't look like he's going to make it. I'm like, what are you talking about? He's not going to make it. And he had been ill, and then that morning he had gotten really ill, and he got in the hospital, and they realized he had sepsis, and within an hour he's dead. And this was a guy who helped hire me in my first uh, ministry job at Westover. And this was a guy that I got to spend years working with. Steve Baker was a guy who gave his life to immigrants. He spent all of his time, uh, for a long time it was with Koreans and with Chinese, and he would gather them and he would bring them to church and he would help them understand who God is. And he's taking them to the doctor and he's taking them uh, to help get things translated. And then when, when we, uh, the Chinese and the Koreans weren't around as much, we had this influx of Burmese people. And then Steve and his wife Rebecca poured their lives into the Burmese and they lived with them and they took care of them and they helped them and they were part of their family. And then we had a bunch of Burmese that moved out and then these Africans came into our area in Austin. And so he would serve and support. He loved those that came from a place far away, served them, was in their life, just so pure of heart in the way that he loved people. And just like that, just gone. Now, I've lost people, and I've lost good people. But I don't know if I've ever had a day where I unexpectedly lost two people so pure of heart within just a couple of hours. I want you to know, it hit me hard. I didn't realize how hard. I'm kind of wandering around the office. Vicki finally said, you probably ought to go home. I didn't know what to do. I was really, really sad. 
And I found myself in this spot where I went home and I sat there and I'm trying to talk to God. And really what I'm doing is this darkness is starting to overcome what I know to be true. It's starting to overwhelm me a little bit. And I'm thankful that it can't overcome what is true, what Jesus has shown to be true. When the light comes on, even in those darkest times to go, yeah, there's death, but here's the light of Christ in that. What does that mean? Oh, they're not gone. It's not the end of them. That they did this time, and now they just waste away, and they're gone, and it doesn't matter. That's not true. That's not real. That's not what Jesus is. That's not what the light reveals. The light reveals some eternal things that have happened. Some amazing things that have happened. And what can happen is you can start getting there, and as the darkness comes and it obscures what's true, you can start to believe that that's all that we are. Is we're in this shell that's going to waste away and it's going to disappear. And like a puff of smoke, we're gone. And that's not true. That's not the truth. That obscures the truth. It obscures what Jesus says about that. And so that's not real. That's why it's so powerful to be able to understand what the light is. There are a lot of things that can try to obscure the light, but they cannot overcome them. Still there. And then finally, I want to say, here's something else you need to know about the light of Christ. You don't need to fear it. And I know you think it's probably weird to be fearful of the light, but let me tell you why that sometimes happens. We understand being afraid of the dark. Sometimes we're afraid of the light, too. We're afraid of something that can shine a light on everything that we are, every aspect of who we are. And we start thinking about that, and we go, that's kind of a scary option. I don't know if I like that idea. And here's why you don't need to be afraid of the light of Christ is because he already knows and loves every single bit about you. And so he wields the light in a different way. Do you remember the old game? Did you ever play the hide-and-seek game with the flashlights? You remember? There was one person, and they had the flashlight, and you're out in the dark, and you're running around. And what they'll do is they'll go, there you are. I got you. And you lose. Right? They shine the light on you, and I reveal where you are, and I reveal where you've been hiding. You lose. And you need to know that is not what the light of Christ is. When he shines it on you to reveal everything that's true about you, you don't lose. You win. Because what he does is he doesn't wield the light in such a way where it's like, let's put you on stage and hit the light on you, and there you are, naked and afraid in front of everybody. That's not the light of Christ. That's not how it works. The light of Christ reveals everything that is truest about you from what God says. And you don't need to be afraid of that. I had a friend that I met with this past week who'd been through some difficult things. He had some dark things happen to him when he was a kid. I mean some dark, evil, awful things. And here's the saddest part about that. Is that trauma that happened to him, and some of you may know this, it obscured what was true for years. Because what he thought he was was what happened to him. What he thought he was was the way that he was treated. What he thought he was was the worst thing that he ever did. And really what happened is to go, that's not who you are. That obscured the light. When Jesus finally shined the light on going, I know these things happened to you. I can reveal, I know that you've done some bad things. I know that you did some things that you feel are shameful, but you need to know in the light of Christ, they're not. It's relief 
It's freedom. It's the way out of slavery. That's the light of Christ. You don't need to be afraid of the light of Christ. So as we close, one of the questions I like to ask, so what should we pray? We got this revelation from John about who Jesus is. For those of us who belong to Christ, and maybe some of you out there who don't yet, what should we pray? Well, there's a few things. One is that you need to know this idea of Jesus being the light, he passed that on to us. And we get to reflect that in our world. For those of us who belong to Christ, you need to know you don't need to be afraid to let the light shine on who you are and the things that you've done. Because here's what you need to understand. Guilt and shame obscure the light. But so does relying on good works. That obscures the light too. And so we need to be free of those things. You need to let the light of Christ reign in you. And then we need to be people who share the light throughout the world. And then here's what I want to tell you too. If you're here with us, you need to know this light of Christ, you don't have to be afraid of. And you need to know what it does is it, obscure, it, it reveals what is true about you. And what is true about you is that your heavenly father created you and has set your worth and has said how important that you are to him, that you're worth him coming and dying for to make you holy and to make you pure. And then all you have to do is just want it and step into the light. And then everything's different and the truth will be revealed to you. And you want to walk with him because we're supposed to become sons and daughter of the light. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a few minutes here. We're going to sing a few songs. Elders, ministers are going to be around. I invite you, spend some time in prayer. Let's do some time talking to God about this. If you want to stay at your, at your chair and spend some time talking to God, do that. If you want to go find somebody here in this audience and pray with them, please do that. If you need to go back and pray with an elder and a minister and you go, hey, I need you to help me with this. I'm having a hard time breaking out of this darkness and into this light, then do that. And if you're ready to say, hey, I want that. I want the truth of Christ in my life. Come talk to us. We would love to talk to you about what happens when the old you dies and the new you is raised and when the light is shown on you to be that you're clothed in Christ. Amen. We would love to tell you about that. If we can, before we do that, please stand and we're going to read a scripture together. Then we'll have a couple of songs and like I say, spend some time in prayer. If you would read this with me, this is 2 Corinthians 4, 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Let's sing.